Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, Bill Alderson, the Chief Technology Officer and Founder of a company named called uh, Hop Zero. Bill, welcome. Thanks for joining today. Hey, nice to be with you, Christopher. Appreciate the opportunity. Definitely. So we are going to talk today. You published a paper, um, comprehensive report about the solar winds breach. We have had so many people interested. Solar winds couldn't talk to us about it. We've had them on before, but as soon as we, you know, this happened, they're under some kind of a don't talk about it order. Um, so we're hoping to get some good input from you. And I know our listeners really want to kind of unpack this and hear as much as they can digest about it. Um, sure. But Bill, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself your, and how you got to where you're at. Sure. Well, um, back in 1978, I went to work for Lockheed Missiles and Space Company in Sunnyvale, California. And very shortly thereafter, because I was doing modems and communications personally, Lockheed picked me to do communications for a large, secure government project with encryption gear, et cetera. And I had a multi-node network that had um, intelligent network processors and encryption gear, et cetera. And it took a year and a half to get somebody cleared for the program. So moi had to figure everything out. And I was a fair-haired kid. I did have hair back then. And um, I had to learn everything. I had to go to PBX school. I had to go to... Um, DDCMP deck uh, protocol training, Ethernet training, Wangword processor training, and I had to do everything and figure all this stuff out, which was an advantage, it turns out, because I learned the black art of how all of this stuff worked. And then I had to do packet analysis when something didn't work right. And I started looking at packets with a Halcyon data scope in 1980. So you got to get up pretty early in the morning. So from that, I moved on to Network General, the people who created the sniffer, the word, the sniffer, we had trademarked and it was registered. And, and that was a product that we had, which was token ring, ethernet analyzers, uh, decoding protocols, application protocols. So I kind of got my start pretty early on and became a packet expert. I trained 50,000 people on sniffer and Wireshark in 27 countries, and I certified over 3,500 certified net analysts in network security and forensics over the years. So I kind of ended up, you know, like Forrest Gump falling into all of these different things. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, 911 happened, and I'm in Atlanta, and I, f I finally fly home. And immediately after I get home, I get a call from a Pentagon general, and they say, Bill, we need you and your company who are known to be the best people in the world because Gartner and Metagroup have told us that you're the best critical problem resolution people. Can you come to the Pentagon and bring us back up after the 911 disaster? And I said, sure, we'll be on an airplane tomorrow morning. So we arrived <clears throat> while the building was still on fire, escorted in with uh, soldiers 
uh, and you know, with machine guns and that sort of thing. And, and we start diagnosing problems on the Pentagon. And they had no network documentation, so we had to reverse engineer everything because the airplane hit the server with their online documentation system. So we had to reverse engineer, bring it all back up. They had a couple of thousand servers. They had to re-schmozzle all sorts of problems, <clears throat> and we had to do that. So I kind of got famous, um, and then ABC News did a story on me. And if you Google Bill Alderson and Pentagon, boom, up will come four-minute story on what we did to solve those problems. So I kind of ended up uh, de facto becoming, you know, one of the world's uh, foremost security experts. Awesome. Well, that is definitely a a, a great background and, and very strong intro to what we're going to talk about today. Um, after we come back from the break, um, we're going to talk about your solar winds breach comprehensive unpacking and what we found out there. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Bill Alderson. And uh, before the break, we talked about your background, firefighting for the Pentagon and putting stuff, you know, forensics there and everything. Let's now look at this solar winds breach. So many people have asked for, you know, to get somebody on to talk about it. We've tried to get solar winds. Um, they're unable to comment. Um, so let's kind of talk where, where you started. It, you know, with the data being and things being so hush hush on this, where, where where is your data sources for this? How did you come about this? I'm glad you asked because it's pretty cool. When the problem first started back in early December, I was listening to everything going on, <clears throat> and the you know Microsoft was popping out what URLs they're using because they were trying to help people resolve it right. I don't know how much of that still exists out there, but early on, they, they disclosed a lot of different things, even the URLs. So I took those URLs in my lab, and I actually uh, went to those different URLs of the actual SolarWinds exfiltration uh, breach uh, URLs, and I analyzed them with my sniffers. And then I loaded it into my systems, and then I could see where they were going, what they were doing, what ports and protocols, how they were do what their MO was, and, and what they were doing um, to basically exfiltrate the credentials that were inside the Orion monitoring system out to uh, of customer information and, and essentially uh, you know, taking this information out so that the criminals could get a hold of it. Right. So consequently, you know, I my my source was packet traces and that sort of thing uh, and information that came out early on those things to add another little element of interest to your listeners in the mid 90s. 
I taught Sniffer and Wireshark and protocol analysis, right? And in San Jose, California, I remember two or three engineers coming in who worked for SolarWinds. They were the founders of SolarWinds, the technical founders. Well, those guys are long gone, the technical founders, but obviously the SolarWinds breach was of interest to me. And then I found out those guys were gone, replaced by all the MBAs that Elon Musk talks about, about being so wonderful of taking technology companies and moving them forward. That's kind of a joke. I caught that, that little sarcasm there. Um, so in, in that terms, um, did you see things that you had uh, from back then in, the, in what happened here now or some problems that started long ago that were unaddressed? Well, first of all, the SolarWinds guys were very sharp and very bright, but they elected not to go into packet analysis. So SolarWinds was not a packet analysis company. That was left to Network General, Lanalyzer, HP, and some of the other uh, big analyzer companies. So consequently, they didn't focus on deep packet security and analysis in any of their products. And then they went into firewall and router configuration. And so that's what the SolarWinds Orion is famous for, is taking a prim and doing analysis. Now, the trouble was that that machine that had all the SolarWinds um, uh, software on it, had all the credentials to access all of the servers, workstations, you name it. So it did not hold the information that criminals wanted per se. It just held the credentials to absolutely everything that the criminals wanted. And that's what they went in and, and exfiltrated. So uh, you know, in, in my piece, I went through step-by-step step the 11 evading steps with a diagram, multiple diagrams about who did what to whom and when and who, who was responsible for different elements of this attack. And of course, I caveat all of it as it's my opinion. Uh, I, you know, until I, I, I were deep inside. And of course, if I did some work for SolarWinds directly, they would uh, gag me so I couldn't talk about it. So I didn't do anything for them even though they are actually uh, headquartered here in Austin where I am as well. Interesting. So it's, it's, it's like a, uh, the ultimate single point of failure problem where all the different, we'll say, I guess, manufacturing passwords for the different types of equipment were in one place. And that's what was broken into. Yes. And so, you know, first of all, the hackers put the DLL into the the coder's uh, files. The coder then compiled the files. The compilation then was signed as a uh, a secure package. It went out to the internet to get downloaded by all the customers of SolarWinds, and these victims sucked down that upgrade, put it into their SolarWinds server. Now, one thing that people don't quite realize. Do you know that it wasn't the software update that was actually the download that um, compromised everyone? But rather, you know, every time you install software on your computer, it says, do you want to participate in the software improvement program? And so you click that little button and then you give anonymous information back to the manufacturer so they know how you're using their software. Well, it was the software improvement program update that they compromised. It was not the software itself. And so if you click that little button, 
you, you win the prize. You, you, you get to get compromised by the update for the software improvement program that got downloaded in that ended up compromising. And so in my piece, I talk about, well, who could have helped them do this? Who was the insiders who helped uh, these hackers um, and these criminals get all this information? Because how do you know what directory to put that file in? How do you know what IP address those files are stored on? You know, all these different pieces of intimate information. There was intimate information that they needed to know the software improvement program. They needed to know how everything updated. They needed to know intimately the file uh, structure of the Microsoft development systems that they were using. They needed to know all those sort of things. And then once they put that on that soft on that system, it first went out and said, hey, do I have internet access? And all those 18,000 people who got compromised, the big problem was not these hackers. The problem was they left their doggone doors open. They allowed this package to come in and get installed. Now that was SolarWinds and the criminals problems, but the victims allowed that to happen. And then secondarily, the hack would have stopped right there if they didn't have internet access from that uh, platform. Would have stopped completely. Would not have happened. So that's where item number two in the report talks about uh, taking your vital servers and making certain that those vital servers are air gapped from the network, from the internet. Seriously, why would you allow a system that was so key like that to go? you know, directly to the internet without any uh, stopping. So that's what ended up, up happening. And then not only that, the, the, the uh, part of authority um, uh, for the DNS address that went to that Microsoft Azure system was uh, called, um, you know, sinkhole dot blah, blah, blah. It, it, was, it was a hacker's DNS start of authority that gave them the address of 20.140.0.1, where the Microsoft Azure system was that they exfiltrated all the information to so that they got all the credentials so that they could break into absolutely any firewall, any server, any workstation, every server inside. I mean, they had total access. So consequently, you know, that that's part of the problem. They 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 left their DNS open uh, to go out and and accept start of authorities who were totally bogus. They let the the platform go directly to the internet. And so when people start talking to me about, oh, they're so sophisticated, they're omnipotent, you know, they're all powerful, they're omniscient, they're all knowledgeable, they're omnipresent, they're everywhere at once. That's malarkey. You can stop these guys. They're not that smart. But because of the fact that NSA, CIA, and um, FBI lost their own tools out there in the, in the wild, it allowed um, very uh, elementary hackers access to the most powerful tools developed by billion-dollar United States government agencies to have these tools and ability that only the most knowledgeable people in the world could have. And now you give these tools to somebody, no wonder there's a ransomware attack every other day because the US government lost the doggone tools that we paid for to be developed. Let's take these a break tools. here. 
and we'll okay. come back to the U.S. government losing the tools right before we hear from our sponsors. Hold on. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Bill Alderson talking about the SolarWinds breach. And before the break, you were talking about, you know, uh, tools that were exfiltrated. Uh, go back and explain when when that happened, because that was an earlier breach that gave yes. those tools access. Exactly. So FBI, CIA, and, and, and uh, NSA all lost their, their red team tools. Uh, which is their lawful intercept tools that they use to break into known criminals so that they can go break up the cartels, they can do things of this nature. And that's all lawful and it's all appropriate. The problem is those tools are like nuclear weapons. And of course, I've worked at places like U.S. Stratcom, CENTCOM, and places where you, you and, and, and at the national labs where you're keeping nuclear information out of the hands of bad people. Well, the FBI, CIA, and NSA did not take care of the very valuable cyber nuclear weapons that they had, at the, and, and they let them get out. And consequently, now all these script kitty hackers who don't know they're from a hole in the ground have these capabilities to, die, to, to break into things that nobody should be able to break into unless you're a multi-billion dollar state-sponsored United States government smart uh, three-letter acronym deal. And so that is, in my case, I believe that that is the source of most of these hacks is because the government lost their own doggone stuff. And it's like losing a nuclear weapon. We don't do that, right? So I hope that they have learned from their mistakes and we need to punch them in the face a little bit so that they learn from those mistakes and don't go doing it again. Yeah, definitely. So if we go back and look now, before the break, also, we were talking about the steps that, that they went through. But basically, the attacker had to get access to SolarWinds systems, find a password in there. Then they, and you, you, you mentioned, which we won't, you know, I don't know if we'll go that way or not, insider because they had to know some information about how to put a software executable into a development library, the code, yes. code files, and then where exactly it went. Then the code got compiled, sent out to all their customers before the hack even spread. So those pieces, you know, un unpack that a little bit. What, you know, and why the, there's, you, you said connection to insider. Is there an insider being pursued or is, you know, what's your, where's that going? So what I was trying to get at with that whole chapter on, you know, insider, someone who knew information that was intimate about SolarWinds, intimate about Microsoft development and, infer, and intimate about the software 
uh, improvement program development and where they held their files. Someone had to help these hackers. You can't, this is stuff that's so intimate, you can't guess. Somebody had to help them. And I'm not saying that there was a person at SolarWinds. I'm not saying there was, you know, I'm not talking nefarious, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying that someone who had knowledge of those three things, and I do a little triangle and I say, look, you know, you had to know Microsoft development, you had to know the software improvement program, and you had to know where to put these files and how to, ha- how to do this. That's intimate information, intimate. So where did they get the help to find all that intimate information on which to execute those things? Well, the software improvement program software was probably an add-on to uh, SolarWinds, right? So they got some development company to say, hey, we need to get information from all our customers to help us develop better software. And so they went out and started looking for, and I don't know if they developed it themselves or found a development kit for software improvement programs. I don't know how they did it, but I discussed this as you know, some of the ways that people um, could have given them this information or helped. You had to have all three, that triangle of information and right in the middle of that triangle, the guy who knew Microsoft software improvement program and the, the company information, all three of those, that's the guy who, who I would look for as being the, the culprit to you know, tell those secrets. You know, it, it almost sounds like being a developer and having gone through that, that a developer's laptop that would have had all that on there was act, somebody accessed and could look through it and find out how, how the project was developed. Well, it's, it's either that or the or some of the developers that did the software improvement program um, were involved, you know, and they could have given a, uh, an RFQ out and said, hey, we want to develop this. We're looking for pricing. We need people. And here's what we want to do. And so that information could have gone out and, and far and wide, you know, Russia, China, North Korea, you name it. It, it, it can get that information can get out there. And then you've given key pieces of information from your RFQ for software improvement program. And I'm just, that's just a a one potential, right? I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that is a potential for how intimate information could have got compromised in a way that the hackers ended up being able to access. Hmm. Interesting. So now the the second part, the software is released with a valid signature. You pull it down you trust it, you put it on your machine. And the next piece was you had to let them have access to make the product better, right? That little statement that says, would you like to grant the company access? (laughs) So if we unpack that one and we just say, should that exist at all in a, something so critical and so central to the government, what's your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on that is you won't find me clicking that button on any more software ever because I started figuring out two and two equals four. I'm not clicking that button on anything. Why? Because it gives us access, them access to, you know, internal information about how these things are done. And yeah, I'm not going to give up any any of that anonymous information that's going to help them figure things out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's almost like a privacy concern where it's like, do you care about your private information? If not, click this button. (laughs) I mean, they say it's all anonymous, you know, but 
you know, they got their butt handed to them by an update that wasn't for the SolarWinds software. It was for the SolarWinds software improvement program. Mm -hmm. I rest my case. If you weren't part of the software improvement program, you might not have gotten compromised. So do you have any stats on what percentage of people clicked that button and were part of this? All I know is that, you know, from the numbers that you probably hear and that sort of thing, that 18,000 organizations were potentially at risk for um, this attack. And those who got bit, you know, were a lot of government organizations. I mean, when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, looking at the secure networks and everything else and all the network control centers and throughout the entire CENTCOM AOR, you know, uh, area of uh, authority that they had, you know, which included Iraq, Afghanistan, Qatar, you know, you know, you name it. Every one of those network control centers used SolarWinds, mm-hmm. classified, unclassified, et cetera. Well, the classified networks are not connected to the internet per se. <laughs> okay. So consequently, they shouldn't have gotten compromised other than maybe a little, you know, this is BS. So why would you ever click on that button of software improvement program if you're on a classified network? You, you don't because it can't communicate to the internet and they are air gapped. And that's where I started at Lockheed. We air gapped everything. You couldn't put a IBM Selectric typewriter on our premises unless it had a filter on it for the power so that it didn't know every time you, you hit S-E-C-R-E-T, that you were about to write a secret message on an IBM Selectric and they could listen to the electrical uh, information, the pulses go back out through the power line and Russians purportedly could listen to your power line and and hear what's typed on an IBM Selectric and and pull that off. I mean, this is how powerful and and we did Tempest uh, shielding, source suppression and that sort of thing of information. Well, now, you know, we, we connect our, our networks to the internet and these vital servers have direct access to the internet because they're lazy and they want updates to be done, you know, on the internet instead of them having to basically do any work. Well, that's where I go into all updates need to come into the company and be on a hardened server, get all the updates on that hardened server and then update all your systems internally so that each and every system in your network doesn't have to go implicitly out to the internet, giving them internet access essentially in order to do updates because your technologists are a bunch of lazy guys who don't wanna do any work, W-O-R-K. Oh, I said it, I'm sorry, you you guys don't let bad words, four letter words out, do you? Because W-O-R-K is a four letter word in the security industry because by God, we're gonna buy artificial intelligence, which is the, which is the code name for ignorant. <laughs> if you don't know what you're talking about, you better get some artificial intelligence. Well, if you have the intelligence to start, you know how to stop this. And that's the problem. <laughs> we don't have people who know packets and they're security experts and cybersecurity experts. If you don't know packets, the foundation of network security, you are not a security expert. And I will pound on my fist and tell everybody in the world, that that is the case. If you don't know packets, you don't know security. You can't, it's impossible. That's vetting every, every packet and discriminating whether you accept or deny it is the foundation of security. Everyone needs to know packets. And that's why I'm Packetman 007 and I've taught thousands of people and it's empowering and the, the most successful people in the industry 
were trained by me by 25 years ago, 30 years ago on sniffer and how to do packet analysis. And then they make sure their teams know how to do that stuff. And if they don't, they get them trained. Interesting. So um, looking at kind of stepping through the, the breach again, uh, the final step was once you got the, it, it updated after you allowed it to update. And your take is that, you know, they block that from happening or update internally that fixes it again. What was the, the next step now after you did the update? What was the final kind of uh, compromise piece? Well, there's, there's several different things that people said did or didn't happen. Um, there was a wait, you know, basically slept for a while. Well, that, that, wasn't, that was a sleep from, it wasn't the same sleep that we're thinking of. So the server didn't immediately go out and do these things. But one of the things is, is it says, am I in a sandbox? Am I on a classified network? Do I have internet access? And if I have internet access, super, because I'm going to go out and go to avmsvmcloud.com and I'm going to do a DNS discovery, Get go to the start of authority, which is sunburst. You know, bad, you know, DNS start of authority, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to get 20.140.0.1 and I'm going to go push all those credentials out to 20.140.0.1, which was an Azure server that was compromised by the, by the criminals. And then the criminals had access to all these, all these doggone uh, credentials from these customers so that they could go back in. And of course, SolarWinds is watching every SQL server most of the time. It's definitely watching every firewall, every uh, router, every switch. It has the credentials to get into every one of those. So now you have this problem where the criminals have all of your stuff. They can get into absolutely any and everything. And then once they get in, the first thing that they do is they don't just steal your data. They start planting landmines. And that's what I've told people in the report. Look, the biggest problem is the landmines that these guys are planting that you don't know about. And they're going to come back. They're going to sell those landmines to somebody else. And, uh, and it's just going to keep the uh, criminal economy moving because people just try to mitigate, you know, oh, let's kill this process and that process. Well, no, you got to kill a lot more than just that. You got to go find out what landmines they let. And if you didn't log your environment so that you know every TCP UDP session that happened on the network and keep that in perpetuity, <clears throat> And that requires something like Splunk, and Splunk costs several million dollars, and most people don't have the money, and they don't keep the information long enough. Remember, people got compromised almost a year later, right? Yeah. Or they knew that they got so compromised that's, that's a question, year later. Kind of the, we're moving towards the end of our time here, but the, the last question I had was, how long was that server up there, the criminals were taking information off of it before they finally kind of closed the loop on it? It, it, I mean, it could have been, they could still be having access today if they didn't mitigate anything. And any of the landmines that they set could still be there, well, right? I mean, that, that AWS server that they were putting, pushing. Oh, the, no, it's not the AWS. It was an Azure server, Azure, or Microsoft server. But, but yeah, that server's been, you know, taken down there. You know, I, I had to really act. How long that was up and, and they were using this process before it finally was identified and shut down? Well, they think, you know, close to a year or maybe more earlier. Okay. So okay. if you were logging and you only log for a year, you know, you have petabytes of logs of all these minutia logs coming from every device. And if you don't have, 
you know, six, eight, 10 years worth of that, you, you lose visibility as soon as you stop storing it. And, it, and some companies, it costs $30 million a year just to store all their Splunk logs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of closing up and saying, you know, what, you know, if anybody during a year's time, you know, that's how long you might have been in this, this loop. So uh, kind of closing out here, Bill, it's been great talking to you. Very colorful here. I love it. Um, give us anything you'd like to get out to our listeners about how services you offer how they can get a hold of you, uh, things like that. Sure. So, um, uh, you know, my company is hopzero.com, one of my companies. I, I publish on securityinstitute.com, and I have a really great news site called news.securityinstitute.com. Every single day, I pick a news story, like today was denial of service, and I pick a news story. I talk about that news story. I do a video on it. And then I say, here's how I stop this, the denial of service at the U.S. stock market. And here's the techniques that I use. So I teach people not only what the hacks of the day are that are killing people in hospitals, denial of service like bandwidth.com and that sort of thing, killing them. Uh, and they want $4.3 million. But the bottom line is, is that I believe we need to create Instead of this criminal economy, we keep giving ransomware to. Why don't you pay me some of that money to stop it? And other people who are good technologists make an economy out of stopping this, and then free enterprise will stop it because you'll fund me, you'll fund others who are really good at packet analysis and stopping these things. But right now, all you're doing is you're giving the multi billion dollar companies more money for getting you compromised. Who did, none of them found the SolarWinds attack, right? Yeah. And so you're giving them more money and then you're paying off the ransomware guys who are actual criminals. Why don't you go out and find somebody who knows how to solve the problem and pay them? Definitely. Well, thanks for coming on today, Bill. It's <laughs> definitely been a pleasure. Have a good one. Thank you, Christopher. Talk to you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.